Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Welcome to the Billboard Charity Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard's co-director of charts. And I'm Kevin Rutherford, Billboard's chart manager for social, streaming, and rock. To so, make sure I get them all. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a, it's a much more complicated title than what Trevor usually has. I know, yeah. I, it, I feel like every single time I say it in different order, too. I think it's in multiple different... I think it's in a different order on my LinkedIn, yeah. and then in like my... On Twitter, and then in my uh, email signature, I just, you know, whatever strikes my fancy that day is the first one. We're multitasking like everybody else. It's what we have to do these days, yeah. All right, we'll talk more rock coming up on the podcast. Going to do kind of a split uh, country rock uh, uh, podcast this week. Uh, We're going to talk ACMs, the Academy of Country Music Awards, uh, this past Sunday. Uh, They were on CBS. We're going to chat with our West Coast editor, Melinda Newman. Uh, She was out in Vegas where uh, the awards uh, took place. And she was talking to, to a lot of the stars there, uh, Jason Aldean, others, uh, about the awards. And obviously a different vibe this year after the uh, the awful uh, shooting massacre uh, that happened last October when Jason Aldean was on stage. So yes. uh, she uh, talked to Jason about that and is going to give us some, some backstage insights of uh, what was uh, going on at the ACM. Some, some funny uh, stuff, too. Uh, Reba's dress is going to... Reba's dress. Yeah, that, that still fits uh, 25 <laughs> years later. Uh, that's coming up. So we'll recap uh, the ACM Awards uh, with Melinda. Uh, we'll talk all things Drake on the Billboard Hot 100 in just a moment. And again, because Kevin uh, is here and the Rock Chart Manager, uh, we're going to chat a quick uh, conversation I recently had with Tommy Vext of Bad Wolves, whose cover of the Cranberry Zombie has become a huge rock hit. It's now top 10 on uh, mainstream rock radio. It's getting some pop airplay, too. Mm-hmm. And it's not even close to being done yet. Yeah. Like, it's it's not reached its peak by any stretch of the imagination. So we'll talk more later. But there's a lot, there's a lot there, and it's pretty cool. All right. Uh, it's all coming up right now. As always, this week's top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Number 10. 
Same person, but a different uh, song. Uh, number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Uh, a new number one this week debuts at number one. Drake, Nice for What? So after 11 weeks of God's Plan being number one, uh, it falls to number two. Drake takes over. I guess that's uh, good news, bad news for Drake. Mostly good news, right? Definitely good news. And uh, I think if there was one person who could do it, it was probably going to be himself uh, replacing him at number one right now. It just didn't seem like there was a song that was going to be able to come up and surpass him. It had to be like kind of a new song. And who else can probably debut a number one right now? So it's a number one a debut on the streaming songs chart with 60.4 million U.S. streams. Uh, number one on digital song sales with 88,000 sold. Those are really solid numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, looking towards the arc going forward, uh, radio is always more of a steady arc in terms of uh, going up. Uh, debuts at number 34 on the radio songs chart. Nice for what? So uh, that seems like it's off to being uh, on the way to being an established radio hit. Mm-hmm. A lot of vibe, uh, just uh, pop culture wise, is that this is it still feels like winter here, but this is a possible <laughs> song of the summer contender. It really does. Like. I mean, it, it feels like a warm weather song just like the second I first heard it and I was hearing it I think on that Friday night or whatever you know just kind of like in the in the train I saw oh yeah you know new Drake so, okay yeah sure I'll, I'll, I'll listen to this and uh, I'm just bumping it like oh man this, this is gonna this is gonna sound good coming out of like a car window you know real real into spring and summer so it feels like it has everything going for it unlike you know maybe a, a summer song that's kind of a bummer you know, which, you know, something like Despacito last year certainly was not. Right. But, so I'm not saying it necessarily happens, but it it definitely fits the bill. Yeah, just like a One Dance for Drake mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. He's, he seems smart enough to know God's Plan kind of feels like a, a, a winter song and mm-hmm. a Nice for What feels more warm weather. Yeah, and the thing that might kind of keep him up there even more is the fact that he 
literally, I think yesterday, uh, Monday would have been, announced the new album. Right. Uh, Scorpion, which doesn't have a release date yet, specific day, but it's coming out in June, he said. And, you know, that's just, I mean, if he can kind of maintain that number one with this song, or at least kind of up toward the top for the next, I guess, you know, month and a half, however long it ends up being, we could just see you know, even more Drake songs just popping up here, you know, in, in June, and then it, it might be a, the summer of Drake for sure. Should we just start planning the year-end Billboard issue at this I point mean, and save a shoot. save a cover for, for Drake at this point? Who, who knows? Who knows who's coming? I know there are rumblings. You know, Ariana Grande's got new music coming, and then there's certainly a couple other people you got to keep your eye on. Kanye West is tweeting again, yeah. so that's something maybe it could just he could literally just be back on twitter it could mean nothing uh rihanna was was teasing something interesting today you know that there could be something that pops up there but if something doesn't pop up soon it feels like it could be very much a drake dominated start uh, to finish pretty much for the entire year yeah it's the way it's looking now but the thing is i feel like people like 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 us like you know or like people who watch charts or whatever always say this we're just like oh man you know if something doesn't come up like something big you know i just can't think of anything that could possibly beat it and then you know and then drake puts out nice for what and then suddenly like oh there's the song right and there could be something that's coming out here in the next two weeks that we just like isn't even remotely on our radar and then just happens to blow everything out of the water you just you never know and that's what's fun about music is, is that it's always so so volatile. And last year, kind of in, in, in that spot, was uh, Cardi B, because after Taylor mm-hmm. Swift knocked out uh, Despacito, uh, right after that, it was uh, Bodak Yellow Money mm-hmm. Moose was number one. So uh, there's always something, uh, the superstars Absolutely. and something new uh, always uh, coming along. And uh, we'll talk about Cardi. And just to say, here, here we are, not even a year later, and she's uh, almost in that super, maybe she is in that superstar level at this I think point. Kind of. I mean, a lot of people love this album. You know, it's gotten just rave reviews and people are saying, you know, some people ask, you know, like, okay, is this like one of the greatest rap debuts ever? And I think a lot of critics were kind of pulling back a little from that saying, okay, maybe it's not that level, but it is a strong debut. And, you know, this thing was always going to stream and sell very well, given how everything else she's done up to this point has done and given how great Bodak Yellow was out of the gate with a large percentage of America not even know who she was before that moment. Um, it was always going to do very well, but what it's doing right now is pretty crazy. Yeah. All 13 songs on the hot 100, right. which hasn't been done. Um, well, it's never been done by a woman simultaneously. Right. Uh, so Cardi B, uh, bests Beyonce this week, 13 songs on the hot 100 from the new, uh, number one album on the billboard 200 invasion of privacy. So 13 songs, uh, that just by one just breaks the record uh, Beyonce had 12 back in May, 2016 when lemonade came out, mm-hmm. you know, which obviously streaming is a very big part of the hot 100. It's not the only thing there, but you know, it's, it's certainly helped drive a lot of the chart here in the last couple of years since we added it. She also adds 13 songs on there. And that's a 50 position chart. That's pretty crazy. And to do it with your first album is yeah. also pretty insane. That's not the type of numbers that you see a lot with a first album. You see it with like, you know, Beyonce's fifth album or something like that, you know? Right. It's 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 pretty crazy. No, I'm just thinking we were talking about what Drake is going to dominate the rest of the year. Now I'm beginning to think that uh, Beyonce is going to put out a 14 song album just so she can. <laughs> She's listening right now, just Cardi shaking B. her fist like, ah. Yeah. What can I do? Yeah. 
so I did a couple of other things just to mention for Drake. Uh, 30th number one debut ever uh, on the Hot 100. And now he's had two in a row, uh, God's Plan and Nice for What. Uh, it's only uh, four artists who have ever had multiple number one debuts. Mariah Carey is the leader with three. Uh, Justin Bieber, Britney Spears, and now Drake each have two. So you're talking the Hot 100's history. Uh, Mariah, Bieber, Britney, and Drake, the only artists who have repeated. It's a huge thing to debut at number one once, but to do it again, that, that definitely means you're in that level where when you put out new music, people are waiting for it the moment mm-hmm. it comes out. Like for sure with Drake, is like for the foreseeable future, when he puts out a new song that isn't just like, you know, it's going to be huge. That's just that's just the way it is, right. and I guess at this point it's going to be weird when he doesn't debut at number one because at this point he's, there's so many of these debuts that's like okay, well, if he the next song comes out and only debuts at number two, yeah. is, is Drake over? Oh. Oh, only. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and just to get a perspective, when the last time we kind of maybe saw this domination from one artist with with different songs like this, uh, Drake is the thirteenth act to have replaced himself at number one. He's the first since Justin Bieber when. Uh, his features on uh, Despacito uh, knocked out I'm the One uh, by DJ Khaled last mm-hmm. year. But even before that, uh, as a lead artist, Love Yourself replaced Sorry back in 2016. So there was that that couple years that we saw all the songs he guested on. Uh, mm-hmm. Bieber was just everywhere and kind of seems like at the moment, at least for this year, uh, Drake has kind of taken that place. Well, absolutely. I mean, he's, he's on two other additional songs that are either in the top 10 or have been in the top 10 within the last like two weeks with the Black Boy JB song and then the Miko song. You know, it's, he's not the kind of artist that isn't just, it's, you're not just hearing his songs, you're hearing him, you could go conceivably listen to a R&B rap radio station and hear him like a couple of times yeah. in the span of just a couple hours on different songs. Right. And uh, you mentioned uh, the, the other songs. So, uh, Nice for What is number one in the Hot 100. Uh, mm-hmm. God's Plan's number two. Look Alive is uh, number five. So, three songs in the top five for Drake simultaneously. Again, that's a really rare occurrence. Uh, Drake joins only the Beatles, 50 Cent, and Bieber in having three uh, top five hits at the same time. Again, going back through the Hot 100's entire history Beatles, 50 Cent, Bieber, and Drake. 50 Cent. Wow. All right, from all that, let's uh, get into something uh, much more uh, serious, but also uh, the tone was was serious, but also uh, hopefulness going forward, Mm -hmm. uh, country-related. At the ACMs, Sunday night in Vegas, uh, they're broadcast on CBS, and uh, our own Melinda Newman, our West Coast editor here at Billboard, uh, she was there. Talking to a lot of people backstage, including uh, Jason Aldean, who, again, uh, was at uh, the Route 91 Festival last year when uh, the shooting massacre happened. And it's it's always going to be uh, so top of mind uh, for him and, and for so many others. And uh, that was uh, on the minds of everyone uh, Sunday night at the ACMs. But uh, again, same time uh, positivity as well. Looking forward. So uh, here's Melinda on the Billboard Charpy podcast talking about uh, everything from this past Sunday's ACMs. Melinda Newman, welcome. Thank you for coming on the Billboard Sharpie Podcast. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. So uh, I think we're going to start just by breaking a rule, maybe even a, a commandment at this point. We're going to ask you to tell us what happened in Vegas. 
you know, that's true. Not everything that uh, happens in Vegas stayed in Vegas this time. Uh, the Academy of Country Music Awards really set the right tone. They knew that they were the first major country event after the Route 91 Harvest Massacre. And so they had to set the right tone between acknowledging that and still celebrating these artists who were getting these awards. And it felt like they struck the perfect tone. And uh, I, I know you were backstage a lot, Melinda. That's why we're uh, we're chatting with you. Uh, you talked to, to Jason Aldean, right? And he's uh, from from what I read. Uh, he said he's obviously so understandable. He doesn't really like talking about what happened last year. He he was on stage while it happened, but you talked to him about it. He knows that it's now just part of his history. You know, regrettably for him, he knows it's just part of his story now, and he acknowledges that. I think it's still very painful for him to talk about it, and I'm sure he hopes that now that these awards are over, it doesn't have to be part of every conversation. You know, when he accepted his award and when he came backstage afterwards, and when I talked to him during rehearsal, he talked about how there's now just this unbreakable bond between him and everyone who was at the festival that night, and that they're all family. They're, they're all united in this, in this horrible event. But he also talked about how much he loves Vegas. You know, he, he said that he's had one horrible night in Vegas and a million great ones and how much he loved Vegas. A number of other artists brought it up too, and it was, it was really moving in, in a lot of ways how they acknowledged it. Melinda, I wanted to ask you about Thomas Rhett, who, who I think you also spoke to, um, either before mm-hmm. um, or after. And I think he said something about how it felt very different to uh, to, to be there this year in Vegas. Coming from someone, I, I assume you've been there before at the ACMs. Did, did you feel that way? Was there kind of like a, a just a, a certain sense in the room that was a little different than in years past? I think what everyone noticed was really almost a positive feeling in that it's a country music family. So there seemed to be almost this feeling of how great it is for all of us to see each other and get to see each other and just kind of hug each other. And many of the artists during rehearsals, Thomas was one of them, met with some survivors. Jason met with some survivors. Uh, during their rehearsals just so they could spend some time with them. And I talked to Thomas right after his rehearsal and he just said it was really powerful. He was like, I don't really know what to say to these people because there's nothing you can say to them that's going to make it better. He said, so I just tried to listen. I just wanted to listen to their stories and what they had to say. And I think everyone went into the actual awards just kind of feeling um, like like family, and I know that sounds really trite, and they're obviously all competing with each other, but I think they felt very united through this absolute horrible event. Yeah, I think you got that sense watching the ceremony as well, for sure. Yeah, I was going to say uh, maybe the performance uh, of the night that really just seemed to, to capture uh, that whole feeling was uh, what I think is maybe the best country song this year. Luke Bryan's Most People Are Good. It just, mm-hmm. uh, you always hear it. it just, it's just a great message song whenever. But uh, in that setting, it just seemed to take on uh, an extra meaning, uh, Melinda, just with, with everything there that night. I, I think that's true. And I was backstage, so whenever an artist would come backstage, we would lose the, the sound. 
of the actual show, so I haven't seen the whole show. But what I seemed to notice watching it was that even if some of the songs were up-tempo, the, the performances were slightly res- restrained, and I think that's why they waited till Chris Jansen at the end for just this great, you know, uplifting, fun song. And I think maybe they felt that that wouldn't have necessarily been appropriate in the middle of the show. Right. And Luke's song definitely encapsulates what I think everyone was feeling and felt like the mood of the show. You know, and even how they opened it with several, with Jason first, but you know, several other artists addressing it but also addressing about the power of music to heal and you know it's really emotional like some of the artists would come backstage and be very emotional when they would get asked about it it's still a wound that i don't know if it'll ever heal but everyone's trying and they really see the power of music more than anything else in the ability to help people heal you talk about that family atmosphere. It feels like country is like that a lot, just day to day, obviously, with the Nashville bass that other genres don't have. It, it's sort of a comforting a, a benefit in some ways that there's already that bass that, sure, they're competing, but they're all so close to begin with. It, it helps any healing going forward. I think that's true, and they're all opening for each other. So, you know, for example, Little Big Town, is out right now with Midland and Casey Musgraves. But when Miranda Lambert came back this summer, she and Little Big Tam will be out together. So they all kind of know each other. You know, you come up opening for certain people's tours. So they, they all, they all have some frame of reference and they're, you know, they're probably not going out to dinner every night in Nashville and hanging. That's one of the reasons they love coming to Las Vegas because they get to hang together then. But they know each other and there's a general sense of camaraderie throughout the whole community. You mentioned uh, little big town and uh, better man. Uh, so there was this indirect uh, presence of Taylor Swift, but uh, she wasn't there. Any, any Taylor talk, uh, Melinda that uh, came up at all while you're in Vegas or just, she wrote that song and that's about the it. Only, the only Taylor talk that came up was uh, Sugarland has a song by her called babe on their new album and it's almost exactly like what happened with little big town uh she heard that they had reunited and she loved them she carries around a signed copy of their first ep with her apparently according to jennifer nettles when she when she was telling the story when she came backstage so taylor sent them the song very similar to what she did with little big town and was like, hi, I think this would be great for you guys. Let me know. And they loved it, and they've recorded it, and it's on their new album, and it'll be coming out later this week or early next week. Have you heard that song yet? Sadly, no. Mm -hmm. They had a listening party last night where we were going to get to hear it, and I wasn't able to go. Very curious about that one. That's interesting. I I wanted to, since we brought up Little Big Town, uh, I think... From what I could see on on Twitter, at least, one of the biggest upsets a lot of people were talking about was how Little Big Town didn't win Vocal Group of the Year uh, to Old Dominion. Was that something that during the ceremony or like, you know, afterward or in the the press area, was that discussed a lot? Did there seem like a bit of a shock that, oh, my gosh, you know, this is they won this like what, what four straight years and someone finally toppled them? I think... Uh, Old Dominion was very funny about it when they came backstage. 
you know, uh, Matthew Ramsey said that Little Big Town hugged them and then was going to punch them in the face. <laughs> uh, obviously joking. Uh, so I think that was the surprise of the night. I think that was the upset of the night. But Little Big Town has certainly won it plenty. And even even Matthew said, you know, they'll win it again next year. <laughs> so we just got to sneak in here and, and win it. And uh, Old Dominion, as much of a surprise as it seemed, you know, I think it's had a, an amazing two years. Two years mm-hmm. ago at the ACMs, they won Best New uh, Duo or Vocal Group. So they've been kind of on this nice trajectory and have had, you know, a number of of really, really strong hits. And so I think maybe people just felt like, you know what, let's spread the love around a little bit. What was interesting to me with them, and this this also goes with um, Brothers Osborne, is that neither of those uh, neither of those acts performed. And I think Brothers Osborne even tweeted, you know, saying like, we would have loved to have performed, but they just weren't asked. Um, did you get any sense maybe of, of why that was? Why someone like Old Dominion or Brothers Osborne, despite being nominated a fair amount and winning big, big awards, weren't even part of the ceremony itself? I have a feeling there were 25 performances. I, right. I know this because we ranked them. <laughs> I was able to, to figure out exactly how many performances there were. And you know, you can't get everyone in. And mm-hmm. so my hunch is Old Dominion just did not make the cut. But I think in hindsight, given I believe they were also up for album of the year, they they probably could have benefited from a slot. And I don't know. I think there's just only so much space. And they had decided to do these flashbacks, which were very warmly received from mm-hmm. what I could tell. So that was going to take up three performance slots. Sure. And I think there's only so much time. I mean, I was fine with those uh, those flashbacks. Yeah. I mean, Chattahoochee's my favorite Alan Jackson that song. Like so I, maybe, maybe got the best response. It seemed like it. Toby Heath kind of didn't seem like he wanted to be there a little bit. I don't, I don't know if that's actually true or not. But, he see, but like, you know, Alan Jackson seemed tappy, excited. You know, obviously Reba and Kelly were right. fantastic. But uh, And the dress. The dress. Yeah, absolutely. My goodness. That was amazing. She, she, she came backstage, you know, and, and while they were performing, everyone was like, oh, my God, is that the actual dress? We were even <laughs> calling it up online. Or did she get a new, did she just get it remade? She came backstage and she made it very clear that was the actual dress. So, yay, Reba, that you can fit into a dress from 25 years ago. She's amazing. You know, it's probably... It, she was absolutely amazing, and she, the interesting thing about that was she said backstage, uh, you know, the original hit you know, was with Linda Davis, who was not a particularly well-known artist at the time, that every other female artist that they asked turned her down, and so they recorded it with Linda yeah. with the thought that it, they would get someone else uh, who was bigger profile, and Linda did such a great job. And everyone else was telling them no. Reba was like, this is it. She owns it. Uh, talking about uh, people who didn't perform, it, uh, sort of notable that uh, Body Like a Back Road, Sam Hunt, won single record of the year and uh, didn't even seem to really, uh, it, you know, with Chris Stapleton, we heard that he's having uh, 
twins. Uh, mm-hmm. With Sam, it seemed kind of there was not much mention of where he even was. Is, is there any talk about that, uh, Melinda? And any word uh, on possible new album? It's been uh, over a year now since uh, Body Like a Backrope was a huge hit and still still no album. Not, not much news, it seems. No, they seem to be kind of concentrating on songs, and I don't know when a new song's going to come out. Hmm. Oh, you know what? I'm just looking, because I was looking up in here. Apparently, his best friend got married the day before the ACM, so he couldn't make it. Yeah. It's a good reason, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, people, life is in session. People are having babies. Friends Mm -hmm. are getting married. Sounds like a country song. Hey. Life is in session. Let's write it. There we go. Uh, one other thing I just want to ask you, Melinda, n- nothing really to do with, with the ACMs, but you uh, you read a lot of stories uh, on, on Billboard.com and the magazine uh, about Garth Brooks. I know you've known him uh, over the years. You've you know, really gotten to know him for, for many interviews. Uh, any any news on new uh, Garth, uh, either album or, or single or anything after having his first uh, number one in years uh, last year with Ask Me How I Know? Uh, any kind of follow-up coming that you know of? Apparently, he is back in the studio, and he's cutting tracks. I think he's cut a few, so- a handful of songs already. I doubt he's going to debut anything at Stagecoach, because that's just not his way. He doesn't want something to then get captured on Stagecoach and go up on YouTube so that when he decides to release the song, people already know it. But he's just not an artist who does that, whereas a lot of artists love that. You know, so people that can already get familiar with new material. But it's my understanding he's back in the studio and is cutting new material, but no word yet on when a new album would come out or what that will, you know, if any of this stuff would even end up on a new album. But he is back in the studio. Well, it sounds like it was... uh Certainly a, a different type of atmosphere at the ACMs uh, this year, but uh, as you said, as it, as it really felt watching, it just kind of felt like it it did uh, strike uh, the right tone between uh, remembering uh, this this awful tragedy that, as you said, never never really will go away, and and uh, music uh, helping people heal through that uh, as best it can. Yeah, Dirk Bentley kind of summed it up best. I was talking to him backstage, and you know he he hosted last year. He and Luke hosted last year and got replaced by Reba this year, which he thought was smart. He felt like Reba was really the absolute perfect host, that people just look up to her. She has a warmth to her. She has a grab you know, but she also has been through tragedy herself with the members of her band dying in a, in a plane crash. And, and he said this was really a pivotal year, that this was going to be the dividing line, that you know, previously the ACMs had just been this drunken fest and it really couldn't be that anymore because this tragedy will always somewhat loom over the, the awards. And he just felt like this was the perfect transition year. And I think he was right. I think the tone, the tone was perfect. It was still celebratory, but in no way did anyone not want to acknowledge what had happened six months before. You know, only a few hundred yards away. All right. Thank you so much, Melinda. Really appreciate you sharing all these stories from you being there. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Bye, guys. Was just part of the air I breathe. I didn't 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Chris Jansen, Redneck Life. It was the closing song on the ACM's Sunday. Is that your favorite performance, Kevin? You're, you're I think that was my favorite performance. Yeah, I mean, like, besides the Chattahoochee with John Barty and, yeah. and Alan Jackson, I think it's partially just because I love Chris Jansen very much. Like he's, I remember when buy me a boat came out right. and this was like, I think on my honeymoon and we kept hearing it in the radio in Orlando and just screaming along to it. Cause it's just, it's such a great party song. He just makes great party music. Yeah. And in like a Melinda mentioned, it felt like a really great way to kind of cap off the, the ceremony because it felt if it was kind of shoehorned in the middle it might the, the tone might be a little weird right. and maybe the tone was nonetheless a little odd having it right after Jason Aldean's speech where he didn't mention the festival but that being said I mean I think this was Chris Jansen's first TV appearance and he just got into the Grand Ole Opry I think like two months ago maybe a month ago and I think Redneck Life is a hilarious song yeah I think all of his songs tend to be pretty, like Fixer Drinks, great, Buy Me a Boat's great. I just, I think he's wonderful. He kind of strikes that, you know, weird sort of Garth, Mick Jagger crossover. And uh, his harmonica playing's not too shabby either. Yeah. So I enjoy that. But I, I like a, there are a few things I love more than like a, either a super up-tempo country song or like an amazing ballad, like something like the dance Garth Brooks level. Right. So... I was happy. I was thinking of buying me a boat this uh, this past weekend. You trying to buy a boat? I bought a boat. You bought a boat? Well, I guess I should. It's a it's a lamp that looks like a boat, but it's kind of big. It's almost as tall as but, me. But you cannot. It, will, will it float though? I don't. I don't. I, I hope it even turns on. I'm happy if, if it works. Or, but I, I was bringing it up to the register. Woman's like, "Oh, you're you're buying a boat." I was like, "It's it, it's a lamp." <laughs> I bet she makes that joke to like everybody who ever like uh, comes up with like that. All right. Uh, country to rock because again, Kevin, you're the rock chart manager. Heck so yeah. uh, uh, showing your versatility here, streaming, <laughs> rock, uh, all, whatever, whatever all your titles country, are. Country, folk. Yeah. I just I listen to everything. We, I recently talked to Tommy Vex, the lead singer of Bad Wolves. They have that cover out of the Cranberries Zombie. The, it was the highest debut of the week it came out on the Hot 100. It's now gone top 10 uh, on the Hot Rock Songs chart. Uh, also at, uh, at radio, it's top 10 at uh, at mainstream rock radio, some pop stations are playing and, and edit. Uh, I guess if you're not familiar either with the original uh, or, or, uh, or this cover, in some ways it reminds me of, of the huge uh, cover of Sound of Silence by Disturbed in the last couple of years. So mm-hmm. the moment we're getting these rock hits that are remaking older songs with this sort of operatic uh, vibe to them and, and they're connecting. It's interesting because with Zombie, there is another cover in the top five of mainstream rock radio right now. It's not as different of a cover. It doesn't make it sound not not completely different. I don't want to say that, you know, Bad Wolves completely changed this song. It still sounds, you know, similar to an extent. But there's a song by Five Finger Death Punch uh, called Gone Away, which is a cover of the Offspring song from uh, the mid-90s. Right. That's like number, um, that's also in the top ten right now, top five rather. 
And first of all, where that kind of is interesting to me is that Bad Wolf's Tommy Vexed filled in with Five Finger Death Punch last summer right. while the singer was away. So there's kind of a... Co- they're both on the same label. If they haven't toured together yet, I'm sure they will. Um, there's a lot of... like There's a connection there. But yeah, mainstream rock radio is kind of into this sort of operatic cover or even just like kind of like a harder edged cover of whatever you know insert song here and the backstory is that bad wolves uh the day they were going to record a zombie with lead singer of the cranberries who originally did the song uh dolores reardon uh sadly she passed away so they still mm-hmm. wound up putting out the song as a tribute as a charity song yes. to dolores's uh, family so uh geez same kind of thing here we're talking about uh really bittersweet backstory to, to something uh, just like uh, the ACMs we were just talking about. So, uh, Tommy Vex, the lead singer of Bad Wolves, uh, chatted with us uh, recently, and here he is talking about uh, that and the breakthrough uh, for the band with a song that really now means a lot to them, uh, kind of for a different reason than it would have uh, before. It's Tommy Vex of Bad Wolves on the Billboard Sharpie Podcast. Is it bittersweet in, in some ways? Because obviously, uh, Dolores uh, O'Riordan was going to record the song with you, and it was it was the day she passed. So, with, with all the success, is there an element that wow? I certainly wish this was happening in, in a different way. It's great that the songs get out there, but there, there'll always be that side of it. Well, I think there's definitely been you know when you know the morning uh, we found out. Obviously, you know I was devastated. I was a huge Cranberries fan, and. Um, you know, it's been, most of this success and this stuff has kind of been overshadowed by the by the processing, you know, and kind of, um, it doesn't really feel real yet, you know, um, we're going to be starting to go out on tour and do shows, and I, I think that one more in front of audiences and they're responding, and, and there's that live connection, it'll start to feel real, um, but, you know, it's just, it's more of like processing and also just the gratitude that we have because you know we released this song and the only way that we would do it is that if we donated portions of the proceeds to our family and so the fact that all these people are coming around again um who are falling in love with the song for the second time and for falling in love with the song for the first time it really is a testament to um Dolores' songwriting uh, and her timelessness, you know, she was the voice of a generation and, and her work is gonna is carrying on, you know, and she's just a timeless artist for us. So we're very honored. And you've really created, uh, Tommy, what's you know, really a, a tribute to her, I suppose. Maybe that's the nicest way to look at it, that uh, you're bringing her uh, sound to fans who uh, love the Cranberries for years and also to a new generation. That's that's something that just makes you feel really good, I would assume. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we, we, you know, everything everything is really just about um, just honoring her legacy, you know, and uh, we, 
you know, we we love her songs and we love the cranberries and you know, um, it's just it's cool to be accepted. It's cool that it's for me, like the the I was nervous and wasn't sure if this song was even going to make the record. And then after, you know, after Dan in our UK office had sent her the song and she responded and wanted to sing on it, I think her approval kind of sealed the deal for me. And now it's all been just a bit, uh, it's still, it's a bit surreal, you know, it's, it feels unreal, so. Have you been in touch with uh, other members of the band? Do they, uh, do they really love what you guys did with the song? Yes, well, we have, uh, even, even Dolores' brother, who also managed her career, sent us a very nice email after the video was sent to the family, just saying that, uh, you know, thank you so much. I think the end quote was, congratulations on a masterpiece. And, you know, there was, it was a, a sense of uh, satisfaction and dignity in knowing that they approved of what we did, because ultimately, it's like, that's what mattered most to us. And beyond the... Cranberry's connection. Obviously, the song is working on its own. Do you think uh, a part of it, obviously, is is your performance of the song, and it's a great song. I, I think part of it might be the lyrics, maybe, in in this uh, culture that we're in right now. This the song, I'm sure, is speaking to a lot of people lyrically. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, the the what what Dolores liked was, you know, she was she very much expressed that she liked that we had changed some of the lyrics to reflect you know, modern time, and I, and I think kind of the collateral damage that she was discussing in the, in the, in the art and in her lyrics 20 years ago um, is still relevant today, you know, and it's a, it's a continuous illustration of humanity's struggle um, with violence and power and, you know, economic issues and, and uh, war, and so people are, you know, people still respond to it, and um, you know, that's basically what I was attempting to illustrate is that in, in, uh, in our rendition is that it's still going on and things need to change. You know, it's pretty rare that we see the top debut of the week on the Hot 100 is a rock song. There's very little rock on the Hot 100 uh, overall. There's just there's just so much hip-hop, there's a lot of country, there's a lot of pop. Uh, you know, we saw last year with Disturbed, their cover of Sound of Silence. It seems like every once in a while there's a, a cover of a rock classic that brings rock back to a prominent place on the chart. I suppose it, you know, maybe may uh, you know, it's weird in some ways it takes a cover uh, to do that but on the other side it, it's kind of nice to know that rock fans are still out there there's still commercial uh, viability for rock it's a good way if nothing else for a band to make a mainstream breakthrough you do a cover of a song that everyone loves it brings it back and that kind of opens uh, inroads for you guys with I, I know the debut album Disobey is coming out May 18th it works out as a whether by accident or not a nice strategy that people get to know you guys and, and then uh, you come out with your own original music after this. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's, it, there's been several interviews that I've done where it's kind of the same, you know, how do you feel about rock and how have it breaking on the charts. And, you know, I've been a musician for a long time and I've, t I've toured all over the world in various different bands with various different bands. And, you know, I go to, I, I play festivals, I go to festivals and there's hundreds of thousands of people. You know, it's like you go to see Five Finger Death Punch or Rammstein or The Misfits and, or, you know, or, or Motley Crue or Metallica or Volby or Slipknot and they're sold out. It's always sold out, you know, so I don't really know, you know, people, I, I don't know if, it, if, if rock fans download music um, 
like if the if music rock music is more pirated um but to me it's like rock is not dead you know it's like a thing that obviously the attendance at all these you know super festivals and just bands touring in general um the, the attendance numbers are there and the tickets are sold so obviously people want to hear something that others think they don't want to hear so it's always strange to me when people think rock is considered to be dead it, one of the things that's interesting, too, is uh, that we've seen the streams rise so much and then sales, too. But challenges tend to be in the realm of hip-hop. But uh, the zombie video challenge and the stuff on, on your Facebook uh, for the band where people, families singing zombie in their cars, it seems to be uh, driving it as well. And that's hey, going to be a karaoke song for so many people, zombie. That, uh, that, that lets you sing when you start doing that song. Yeah, I mean, it's like, that's been really cool. Like, it's, you know, people, we, we're getting videos, kids love the song, you know, so obviously young kids are getting to hear it for the first time, you know, and as far as like, you know, my my, my buddy is Josh Brolin, and he sent a video, he was singing it, you know, and he's, yeah. and he's obviously uh, an Academy Award winning actor, and, you know, he's going to be in two of the new blockbuster Marvel films, Avengers and Deadpool, he's, you know, he's been, you know, he's, 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 he's so all different kinds of people at different professions and different ages and different everything have really gravitated toward the song. I have friends who do hip hop. I have friends who are in rock, and um, I, I, you know, it's just people love it. It was just a, you know, what the Cranberries did with that song um, was amazing, you know, and and uh, and we're just I'm I'm just very very glad and honored and humbled that people um, appreciate our rendition and what we've done with it, you know, and how we've modernized it, modernized it. Well, we love when uh, stuff stands out uh, on the charts and we see a rock song uh, doing so well on the Hot 100. We love to uh, get inside the story of that. And uh, great to hear that you've taken uh, something that certainly has a, a sad side to it, but uh, hopefully is uh, standing as, as a really nice uh, song that celebrates uh, Dolores and, and the music that obviously is still uh, touching people uh, 25 years later after the song originally came out. Congratulations, Tommy. Best luck uh, going forward. Thanks for uh, chatting with us about uh, what is now a, a pretty big Billboard chart hit.
Uh, we're just about to wrap up, Kevin. Uh, you got the flashback this week, mm-hmm. Trevor's usual spot. Where are we going back to? We're going 12 years back. It's not too far back. But I was thinking about the ACMs, country music, and I saw that this album's 12-year anniversary of it hitting number one on the Billboard 200 is this week. So yeah. let's give a little shout-out to Rascal Flats, whose Me and My Gang album hit number one on the Billboard 200 this week, 12 years ago. The really interesting thing to me about this album, there's a lot of things. And first of all, this is pretty much my introduction to Rascal Flats. I think, on an album front, I'd heard, you know, Bless the Broken Road before. I'm, at my heart, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a country boy, but I do come from Ohio, and specifically an area of Ohio that is a lot of farmland. Yeah. I grew up across from a farm. I was in 4-H. So, got a lot of country music kind of in my upbringing, right, for you, sure. You've got the credit. You could talk about this. <laughs> I, I, I suppose so. But, um, you know, so I knew of this group, but the really interesting thing about this album was that it kind of came out after Bless the Broken Road had been such a sizable hit. And I think, if I recall correctly, it was their first song that ever made the adult contemporary chart. So... You know, this was their that was their first song that not was just a country hit, but audiences who weren't just listening to country radio that were listening to other formats might have heard it as well. Right. Which is kind of cool, you know, and that's something that we don't see that much today. And we certainly didn't necessarily see that much then either. Um, so this album comes out. So this followed up a 2004 album that again had Bless the Broken Road but this was the first album that they recorded with a guy named Dan Huff who won a couple awards for you know Country Producer of the Year at some of the award shows very big presence there for a while in country radio and this kicked off a span of I think eight years where they were working with him couple different albums you know this was their go-to guy for a while and it all started with this album and the reason they brought him in was because they wanted to capture that full band sound that they had in their live shows that they felt like they weren't necessarily getting as much before that on the record and to that end you know the other guys in the band um besides gary the lead singer were playing on the record they weren't just getting session i mean they got session guys but they the guys in the band were actually playing too yeah. you know and they were kind of cutting the album like a like a band would right and i think it definitely shows with this album which is we run down some of the accomplishments here so it comes out number 1 album next week it's the number 1 album again beating toby keith which yeah. I was not a sure bet at that point you know toby keith he was he was I think kind of on his way down a little bit yeah, at no, that right. point. Still having hits, but, but he, still having he, been out for about thirteen years. Yeah, and this was even pre Red Solo cut. I mean, he still had hits in him. Right, but um, they were able to beat him second week, and this was back in two thousand six. So this was completely just pure album sales and nothing to do with digital sales or you know streaming wasn't really a thing yet. But then, but and then the third week. Again, number one. Now, that was because there was really nothing that came out. <laughs> like, I think the highest debut on the Billboard 200 that week was, like, in the 20s or 30s. Yeah. So it wasn't a big week for debuts. But, you know, this album was beating new albums from Pink, a new album from Toby Keith. I mean, it, this was a big album, and a big part of that was because this was an album that had three number ones on Country Airplay, 
something that they have not been able to do since they've i think this was number ones five through seven of their now 14 number ones which continued last year they i think they had two number ones last year or if not two years ago i mean they're they're big but what a lot of people might remember more about this era was that they had an even bigger crossover hit with what's hurts the most right which you, I'm sure, will remember as the song that was played not just on adult top 40, but top 40 as well. It, I think, peaked at 22 or something like that on, on mainstream top 40, and adult top 40 even hit the top 10. Yeah. And it was a nine week number one adult contemporary. Uh, yeah, you know, after uh, some years of uh, all the Faith Hill and Shania Twain mm-hmm. crossover, AC uh, radio, pop radio would would take uh, some of these just absolute monster country hits that were so mainstream feeling uh, like mm-hmm. that, and you know, to this day, it still sounds like one of those songs you're you're going to keep hearing on adult radio going forward. I agree, and this was also really their. They had always kind of been known as like a country pop band in the way that like they definitely took some of the sides of pop that would fit in country and applied but this album you know kind of set that into overdrive you not just with this single but with like my wish the uh the title track me and my gang it's a great i always remember thinking you know this, I, this song came out ar- around the time i got my driver's license oh, um, so filling in for trevor on the age the age difference <laughs> yeah right but um i remember just like hearing it listening to pop radio occasionally i didn't do it too much but occasionally i would the, the mainstream rock station wasn't playing something i liked yeah. i would go listen to pop and i remember like feeling like the drums especially were just pretty bombastic right. and like i felt like they just really they almost felt like rock drums in a way and it really really caught me like i really and like i also went through a breakup my first major breakup around the time too so i remember hearing that song a lot and just being like i get this a lot um but this also was an era with with that with this album where you remember cars yeah the first uh the, the the for the first cars it's it's still a thing today but that movie came out rascal flats covering tom cochran's life as a highway they end up appending the song to the Me and My Gang album as a bonus track. Right. Um, but that was another hit for them. I mean, like, that was, if I recall correctly, top 20 at country radio while I think they were working my wish. Right. I mean, like, it was... It, it was it was so big, country couldn't ignore it. Mm-hmm. And, and it, you hear it a lot now. It, it's sort you do. Of, even if it wasn't you know, any kind of a number one hit, it's it's such a known song. Everyone, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's... It was never the the biggest hit of the day it was kind of out in a weird time for for pop rock music in the, in the early 90s the tom cochran original but yeah it's it's 25 years later it's really last from that cover and just uh, just for being a good song absolutely and you know that song and what hurts the most were both top 10 hits on the hot 100 what hurts the most was six in life is a highway was seven to date they're only top tens but that I think even more so proves the power of of, of both these songs in the album as a whole, just how they were able to able to to reach the top ten. That's that's something that I feel like is not, certainly not unheard of, but it's hard to do. And I think you know you if you've been watching the charts the last couple of years, it's, it's not 
not an easy feat. You know, you have someone like Sam Hunt do it. Right. And then, you know, obviously we have Meant to Be right now. And that's kind of part of the reason I pegged this is because, you know, that's a big song on country radio right now. But it doesn't happen a whole lot. And now this is a stat that I thought was interesting that I did not know. Apparently, the, Me and My Gang was the second best-selling album of 2006, period. I'm trying to think of what beat it. Yeah. It's, um, it was on a TV show. Oh, no, sorry. No, it was on a TV channel. But it was a, it was a made-for-TV movie. Are we, are we back in high school musical? High time? school musical. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that was the only, the only album that outsold it. Are, are you going to admit to watching that as, as a teen back then? Or no? Uh, just, um, just Rascal Flatts? I, uh, was, I, was, I, I actually did watch the first one because, um, let's see, that would have come out when I was 16. My sister was 10, and she had it on. So I have seen the first one. I have not seen any other ones. Anyway. This, this is all an elaborate setup, by Kevin, <laughs> just to get to that point to reveal that you liked high school music. Absolutely. Hey, one last thing about Rascal Flatts that was kind of interesting is you mentioned Faith Hill. Apparently, originally, she was possibly going to record What Hurts the Most. Oh. And uh, then ended up passing on it for whatever reason. Can you imagine that song with her? I feel like that would have also crossed over. I feel yeah, like that was oh, going to yeah. cross over regardless of who sang it. That would have been another another breathe. I could I can yeah, in I my head right now. I can hear her singing. Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. I kind of like hope there's a, a a a master recording of like that. Like if if she actually laid down a demo, I hope there's something somewhere where I can like just like put out a box out here eventually and just oh hey here's this and I would I, I would die. Yeah. It's, it'd be so good. Yeah, let's wrap with. Uh, I'll find a way to work in uh, Megan Trainer uh, pop. She, I, I first interviewed her when, when all about that bass uh, was was breaking, and we talked about uh, writing for for country acts, mm-hmm. and event and wound up coming out uh, later on was uh, I like the sound of that. Rascal Flatts, Megan mm-hmm. Trainer co-wrote there one of their most recent number ones, and yeah. she said how it, it was like a life's dream to write uh, a song that Rascal Flatts would record. So she, she was probably watching uh, High School Musical too back I- in. Absolutely. Back in that era. I like to think. Megan, I hope you were. If so, let me know who you shipped. Yeah. I want to hear. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.